0: This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Mizugai. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support.
1: You're listening to episode 219 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast, recorded on Thursday, April 23rd, 2015, and available for download or streaming on Monday, April 27th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Cookie. And I'm Jace. All right, Cookie, tell us what we've got this week.
0: This week, Star Trek meets the Wild West and steampunk with Airship Enterprise, a graphic novel that will trek out with its creator. In STO news, we're joined by Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, to talk about Season 10, which hit last Tuesday. Later, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages.
2: Speaking of hailing frequencies, it's great to receive all your messages, so chat with us during our live stream on Thursday nights at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash live, or answer our community question by commenting on our website, Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOne, or via twitter at sto priority one
0: thanks again to all our patreon supporters that make this show possible from week to week because of their support the servers stay on the power keeps flowing and the team keeps producing help us improve the show by considering a financial contribution via our patreon page
1: before we move on with the show we just want to give a quick shout out to the admiralty of the priority one podcast fleet Thanks to the tireless efforts of Lance and Dragon, Tuvix, Airborne, and Maytalk, the Priority One fleet is strong with several hundred active members. TeamSpeak is always busy with a great crowd of folks, and the in-game chat is always popping. So if you're in limbo and need a fleet to join, consider joining the Priority One podcast fleet.
2: Now let's take to the sky in the airship enterprise with creator Brian Denham. I don't know. Then let's
0: it out.
2: With us live on the show tonight is Brian Denham, creator of the steampunk sci-fi comic, Airship Enterprise, currently on Kickstarter and going strong. As of the time of this recording, Airship Enterprise is already over 65% to its seventeen dollars dollars goal in only three days. Wait a second. 17,000 then 10 1701 nicely done sir
3: <laughs> thank you very much and welcome to the show Brian oh thanks for having me
2: yeah absolutely we're glad to uh, get this chance to chat so just to give a bit of background for our listeners who might not all be aware tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in comics
3: well i uh i started uh, self-publishing in uh 92 uh, i got out of the marines with a buddy and um we both were you know friends in high school and we wanted to do comics and stuff so uh his grandmother had died right before that and left him some money and we used that money to pay for our, our first printing of our first comic book that led to me doing more of it because i was like i'm just going to try to break in and editors at marvel and dc would come to conventions in town like uh, where i came from dallas and uh, I, I couldn't get them to give me work you know <laughs> so i was like i'm just gonna have to self-publish my way into the industry and uh, two years later i did another book called uh, my name is mud in 1994 i debuted at the dallas comic con or back in the day it was called the dallas fantasy fair and um in 1994 and i met rob liefeld and then a week, ah. a week later at Comic-Con in San Diego, the guy that ran the uh, Dallas show, his name was Larry Langford, he, he flew me out there, you know, because I spent all my money on, on publishing that book. I had nothing, you know. So he flew me to Comic-Con, and I met Rob Liefeld again. And Rob remembered me from the week before, and he'd saw my My Name is Mud book. And uh, he's like, oh, you're that mud guy, right? And I was like, yeah. He's like, you want a job? I was like, yeah, you know. He's like, uh, show up at my office on Monday. I was like, wow. So I was there 24 hours a day working at that studio. So
2: that was like the early days of Image, right?
3: Yeah, I guess they started in, what, 92. So they were out like two years at that time. And it was was crazy. Like at the time I got there, everything had just stopped selling like millions of copies per order. (laughs) Like any issue they released was just a million, you know.
0: So tell us about Airship Enterprise. From where did you draw your inspiration? How'd you get started on this project?
3: Well, I had, uh, you know, even as a kid, like, you know, growing up in a, a small town in Texas, like, uh, you know, I'd watch westerns all day, but then Star Trek and Wild Wild West would come on, and they'd be in full color, and it just blew me away, you know, and I'd run out in the backyard playing Mr. Spock with a, you know, a gun and a analyzer kind of thing, you know, and just make it own stories and stuff, but I was like, that'd be so cool if they were together, and like, the Enterprise could fly into the sky, and just always dreamed of that, and I'd, I'd draw little ships and come Finding them, and then basically Star Trek in, in a steampunk universe, you know?
1: What are you keeping in mind when merging something as deep and profound as something like Star Trek can be with something like steampunk? Not to say that steampunk is not deep and profound, but, you know, of course, it's about making sure that the product sells. What are you keeping in mind when trying to merge the two? When trying to make something that is attractive to buyers, but also still true to the quote unquote Gene Roddenberry vision?
3: Oh no, that's that's very important to me. That's a great question, but it's like the um, I grew up on Star Trek. I mean, that was that was my world, you know. And I, I mean, I played Star Trek online. I, I, I'm just emerged in Star Trek. My whole office is covered in Star Trek stuff. But I grew up with the idea of you know trying to do a story that's a little bit action and and a whole lot of philosophy, you know. And the uh, the morality tales is so important to Star Trek and to me too. I mean, I don't I just don't want to do like this steampunk idea of pirate ships you know and, and killing each other and attacking and it's like that didn't really speak to me it's like what can you do that tells a story in a steampunk setting that's kind of about issues that we're facing today and stuff you know and, and continuing that idea of star trek from the get-go which was let's talk about stuff that we can't really talk about you know and in a, a sci-fi setting and kind of you know avoid the uh the pointedness of that topic you know so I, I came up with a story that kind of touched on things uh, that we're dealing with now, but also, you know, it was kind of fun and adventure and an, an adventure story, you know. Star
1: Trek is about adventure, man. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm excited. That's exciting.
2: So I know that part of this story has been published in Steampunk Tales. How does that relate to what's going to be in the finished graphic novel?
3: Well, you know, when when we put a book out into the comic book market, you know, they, they come so fast and they're gone. You know, a week when it's new and then it gets put on the back issue shelves or whatever and it just kind of fades away. And so I knew, you know, I wanted to do Airship Enterprise and, and a lot more of it too, not just one book that's come and gone, you know. And so we came up with doing an anthology book where, you know, we could have a few issues of, of a story. And kind of just spread the word and, you know, try to build momentum to try to get more people to either follow it or at least be aware of it, you know.
0: Are there any particular influences on the style that you're using here? I see some of the sketches look more like cartoon or superhero comic art, but the finished pages are very detailed.
3: Well, on the uh, on the Facebook page, like as I came up with that idea, you know, a couple years ago for the to do it as a book, I started to do like art samples just for myself to kind of feel out what I wanted to do. And I went, you know, really far with the cartoony stuff, even stuff you didn't see, just almost like crack magazine mad magazine kind of style from you know back in the 70s when they were doing like star trek the motion picture parody or whatever you know and i was doing that kind of look and then I, I went the other way i was like well also with that it was the uh, the pictures that were just more pin-up looking stuff just to kind of see is this what i want you know and and it wasn't i was like really inspired from when i was a kid uh reading flash gordon comics in the paper or even the star wars by like Al Williamson would do like really beautiful artwork that kind of harkened back to the, uh, the mid-century uh, pen and ink illustrators and even back to the 1800s uh, book illustration art. And the more I started looking into that and finding more of those artists, and oh my God, it's like every day it was finding an old artist that I'd never seen before. And it just really motivated me to, to do better and bring a, a level of realism and stuff that I, I wasn't bringing. And so I started getting more and more into that. And then once I started the pages, I was like, I want it to look like this book came out, you know, in the 1800s.
0: Now, is this like a team effort or did you do this all yourself? Uh,
3: No, it's just me so far. I'm just writing, drawing, inking, lettering. Are you working with anybody in terms of the story?
1: Um, You know, anybody that you are kind of showing this to and saying, hey, can you give me some ideas? Is this something that you might reach out to the community for, like the supporters of the campaign?
3: I do have a friend at the studio. His name's uh, Joe White and he does... uh, Just a really amazing work, and uh, he's a really good writer and stuff. Coming up with ideas and pitching it to him, just like, what do you think of this, or what do you think of that? I mean, it's, and he lets me know when I'm getting way off. I guess he's a really good editor in a way, because he's like, you know, that's that's too far one way, or that's too far the other way, and stuff. So it's a good, he's a good sounding board.
1: So we talked earlier about, you know, the actual Kickstarter campaign, and, you know, Jace caught the 1701. (laughs) reference in, in that first goal. But let's talk about the, the funds themselves. You know, when it comes to crowdfunded campaigns, sometimes people really want to know some of the nitty gritty of, you know, where's that money going? Where am I investing in? Can you talk to us a little bit about that and, and where the money will go and how will it benefit the project overall?
3: you know right off the top like whatever goal you set like we have a goal set at seventeen thousand, which includes the printing and the shipping and things like that like you know getting boxes and packing material and i mean there's a lot of extra costs you know but uh, our estimate for it is a little high. It's, a, it's about 22000 is what we'll actually need. But we set the goal a little lower. One, just to make sure we get it to make it possible. And then, you know, we'll, we'll try to find the funds other ways to, to get the, the book still out there, you know.
1: Now, do you have any concerns that, you know, CBS might come a knocking on the door and saying, no, you can't do this? I mean.
3: Not really. I mean, we've talked to lawyers and stuff. But, I mean, there's always a possibility, as a great one said. But, you know, we haven't used the name Star Trek. We're not using anything fundamentally on the uniforms that is either trademarked or copyrighted. You know, we're not using the Delta Shield. We're not using Starfleet. We're not using Kirk, Spock, or any of these guys. You know, we're not using anything that's that would have been uh, protected uh, legally with with them. You know, the only thing that is similar is the name Airship Enterprise, which... I mean, Enterprise is <laughs> the name of a great ship already. I served with it in the Marines a little bit. You know, that's public domain as well. And then the really the only thing that's an issue would have been the shape of the ship, which is neither a copyrightable thing or a trademark thing. It's a it's a design patent, you know, and the original Enterprise never had a design patent filed on it.
1: Well, Brian, I, again, I want to thank you for, for coming on the show. I mean, is there anything that we might not have covered that you wanted to kind of touch base on before we wrapped up?
3: Uh, You can check out the the Facebook page. There's a lot of information on it, and I also share Star Trek stories and steampunk stories on there, too, or links. Uh, You can check that out at airshipenterprise.com. And we're just going to have a really good time and a a fun story, and I hope you enjoy it.
1: Absolutely. Well, Admirals, again, just a reminder, the Kickstarter campaign ends on Saturday, May 16th. With 29 Days to Go, they're already at 11,000 of their 17,000 goal. So if it's uh, a graphic novel that you want to see made, then head over to kickstarter.com and do a search for Airship Enterprise. We'll, of course, have links in the show notes and support Brian, his team, and the project. Again, Brian, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you.
3: Live long and prosper.
0: This week, Star Trek Online news is all about season ten, and joining us to talk about it is lead designer Al Captain Gecko Rivera.
2: Security clearance level three or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Cisco. Authorization Cisco Alpha One
1: Alpha. Logs accessed. Joining us for Star Trek Online news this week is its lead designer Al Captain Gecko Rivera. Thanks for coming on this week, Al. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me back. Welcome. So season 10 just hit last week. Uh, and with it came three new PvEQs, a new reputation system, the new pilot specialization tree, new voice work from Robert Duncan McNeil as Tom Paris and Lisa the Cicero as his daughter. And of course, the sector walls have fallen. Shaka. And we now have Shaka. <laughs> and we now have three beautifully scaled quadrants. So, let's talk a little bit about season 10 and what it took to produce this. Well, we worked really hard.
4: <laughs> well, we've been working towards the Iconian War for five years, and particularly uh, more specifically since, since Legacy of Romulus, uh, as far as the actual story arc, you know, when, when it started to really come together. We always knew from the beginning what the end of the Iconian War would be like and what were some of the steps going there, but it really started fleshing out around Legacy of Romulus now, just, you know, about two years ago now. So it, it was uh, it was time to bring that home, and the five-year anniversary mark seemed like the appropriate place to do that. The sector space walls coming down—that's been something that we've been wanting to do and been talking about for years. It wasn't really so much—I mean, I guess it was a technology thing because it was mostly you know mostly performance-related as far as how many people could we get in the map and and so we had to do a lot of things over the years to just improve performance enough that we could make the map big enough to in order to sustain the number of people we wanted in the map and then it was okay well it was going to take a lot of design time and art time to rebuild all the sectors and rehook up all the doors and frankly i'm shocked there aren't more bugs considering how many you know mission doors and locations and things that had to be repointed to just basically everything had to be redone so, uh, yeah, the team did a great job bringing that together. That's, so it's, it's beautiful. Uh, I think a lot of people seem to really like that. And, and what else? Uh, what else we got? We've, got? we've got addition to the pilot specialization is now, a, uh, is now a primary specialization. That's one of my favorites. It's probably my favorite specialization there. Three new queues. These queues, unlike other queues, all are, have a minimum level of 60 instead of 50. The critter group, uh, the Iconian critter group, was started by an employee who left us he allowed to leave us for personal reasons and he went to, uh, I don't remember where he went but he went down south back to his family in LA. So the Iconian Critter groups are like one of the first things I've worked on in a really long time so I got to do those guys and I'm still working on them because I'm working on the, uh, the Iconians themselves, and other things, and, and other things that we'll see in the future.
1: In what capacity? What do you mean? You were working on them? Like what?
4: I, I built them. I made them. I made the ships. I don't build the art, of course, right? But I made the powers and the critters themselves. So usually, I don't usually do a lot of systems work anymore because, uh, as a lead, I'm busy managing and going to meetings and planning and and helping and facilitating. Um, and, and the rest of the system team is usually doing the systems work. Uh, it's my background it's in systems, if anyone remembers. I, it was fun to get back into uh, making making critters again, making all the powers and the tricks that they do. So, But I felt that, I guess that was appropriate, right, for our big boss critter group for the end, that I should probably, the captain should probably sit in the pilot seat at that, for that one.
2: <laughs> so is this uh, mostly the space?
4: Both. Yeah, so if you so if you hate them, that's my fault.
2: No, no, I actually really like them. I <laughs> finally got the chance to do the featured episodes just after our show on Thursday. I really liked the new ships and the new Herald ground opponents. They were especially intimidating, I think, because they're so unexpected in the things they do compared to what we fought before. Yeah, it's a
4: really
0: new challenge. I died so many times.
4: You got to learn their you got to learn their mechanics in both ground and space. If you if you, you have to, they're they're punitive. They're a punitive group, and if you're not paying attention. They'll put the hurt on you. But if you pay attention, you can really, you can deal with their mechanics. It's the, um, all the way from like from the ensigns, the constructs, which are basically like armored ghosts, right? Like, you know, like a suit of armor with ghosts in it. They're they're not alive. They're constructs of, they're being controlled. And there's just like an empty shell of armor. So when you kill them, right, they just fall apart into pieces and a little energy inside them dissipates some of them will when they die they'll they'll kind of core breach and so you see a little red splat on the ground you want to get away from that
2: yeah i like that effect
4: some of them will merge with another construct and they'll merge together and form a you know a combined construct
2: oh that's how that happened it was hard it was not clear to me how that was happening but i was seeing those fused ones That were much harder to kill.
4: You'll see one of them will shoot like this, like lightning or energy, at another one, and will start floating in the air. When that happens, you got to kill one of them,
2: or they'll fuse together. And then they're just much tougher.
4: Yeah, they're much tougher. They're really tough. They have no range attacks, but they'll just charge in at you and put a hurting on you really bad. So you got to just, you got to, you can't knock them down or anything. They're just charge in, so you got to kind of stay away from them, get barriers between them, uh, because they'll just hit you really, really hard. The lieutenants were probably the most fun to build. The lieutenants are the, the thralls. You know, they have their they have that staff, that energy staff, and they all basically have staffs, I guess.
1: This is the
2: big one, the the, the brute looking no, one. No,
4: I'm talking about the thrall right now. But they all have a staff of some sort.
2: No, these are the guys that teleport behind you and flank you all the time. It's really annoying.
1: Ah.
4: So they'll kinda of blink around a lot and they'll shoot you with a you know, with their dark blast. Very so often they'll cast a moonbeam at you, which is that's what I called it, and that, that was a basically a chain lightning attack. So they'll it hit you, and it'll just hit all your allies. So they have they'll shoot a chain lightning, but they'll blink around, and so you gotta when you when they blink, you lose targeting, so you have to find them again to continue shooting them. But they'll open a portal. You can shoot that portal in like one shot if you change targets and shoot the portal. Then they'll just keep staying at range. But if you don't, they'll jump into the portal and they'll yeah, and then they'll teleport behind you, and then they get this rage buff, and then they just go into melee and start attacking you really hard in melee.
2: Yeah, I was killing the portals, but not quick enough. I got to get on
4: that. Yeah, you got to get down really quick. If not, you have to have a backup plan. My backup plan is whenever I fight them, I'm an engineer. I just keep I always keep cronton mines behind me. So when they pop behind me, they just land on the kranton mine, uh, and then they slow down and they can't catch you. So that's that's my strategy with uh, with those guys. And then the big brutes. There's two forms. There's a range in the melee, and they both basically have either a big uh, kind of hammer-type attack that they'll hit on the ground, makes a big you know red spot on the ground. You have to get away from, or they shoot one uh, in a cone blast. And same thing, you have to stay out of that range. And then um, I don't know if you guys have. You must have fought the herald captains, the the harbingers, right? There's two types of Harbingers. Have you seen them both?
2: Uh, I don't know if I've seen both. I think I've only fought one with the first time I did the featured episode, the first one.
4: I didn't know
0: there was two types.
4: There's two types of Harbingers. The first featured episode always calls the same Harbinger. But if you play the ground cue, the uh, the one on Quonos, it randomly will pick the two between the two Harbingers. The other ones will show up in other missions later. But in the ground queue you'll see them there. One of them is the Harbinger of Teket, and one is the Harbinger of uh, Matara. Uh, basically, and the other
1: one is a harbinger of death, and also called Starbuck. <laughs> <laughs> right.
4: <laughs> They're zealots. They're almost like priests of the Iconians, right? So, harbinger Matara is the personal harbinger of the Iconian named Matara.
2: Right, which is the one chasing us down in that mission.
4: Yes, and then the harbinger Teket is the harbinger of Teket, and there's a few other there's a few others. So uh, they each have different powers representing what that Iconian. Uh, is particularly a specialty in whether it's
1: teleportation or gravity or constructions and things like that. So, in the one of the blogs describing the Iconians and the Herald's, it talked about how flexible really you guys were able to get with their powers, right? Because it, it seems almost more magical. There's some there's science behind it, but just science that we don't understand. So, as as a designer making these powers and not being limited to phasers, ray guns, and Star Trek science. The possibilities were endless for you, right? The possibilities are
4: endless but you're always scared that will the players accept it in Star Trek, right? The other best example is the Voth, right? Which I think are far more believable, personally, uh, in Star Trek than than the way we built the Iconians, yet the dinosaurs were always very controversial having the dinosaurs in the Voth critter group. Yes, there's always a risk that people won't accept it, but you know, within the you know, what we built on upon the IP is, is that, you know, these Iconians were so advanced that their technology, you know, you know, two hundred thousand years ago that they were demons of air and darkness. They just would appear out of nowhere and their technology was so advanced that it appeared like magic and that I mean, basically the entire critter group is based on the phrase demons of air and darkness. So we just kind of went with that. We didn't want a critter group of Iconians. Iconians are too... Iconic. We've built them up. We didn't want like ensign Iconians, right? We didn't want you slaughtering them. They have to remain as a symbol of like Diablo in Diablo, right? <laughs> they're an apex uh, entity. So hence we came up with the, the Heralds, which were these related species from Iconia. And that uh, where related to them. But, you know, they're their personal guards and have basically like almost like a symbiotic relationship with them. And so we could allow players to have lots of bad guys to fight without it, without it feeling like the Iconians were just level 60
2: critters that you could that anybody could kill. Right. And without repeating the whole, you know, another dominated race or another manipulated race or, yeah. you know, now we're actually facing them. Yes. Maybe through their intermediaries, but it's, it's them and their guys.
4: They are technically Iconians because they're from Iconia, but they're not the Iconians that, we, you know, the, the, the guys at the top. So we looked at a lot of things. A lot of the inspirations we looked at when designing them was um, we wanted to uh, keep the demons of air and darkness stuff. We looked at a lot of Thor, the Thor movie, darkness, like the elves from the last movie Thor. What was the last movie Thor called? Thor. It's not Thor into darkness. It's not Star Trek into darkness, but
2: the Dark World. Star.
4: Yeah, another dark thing. Thor the Dark World, and Stargate, and Babylon 5. The the shadows from Babylon 5. A lot of those things.
2: Yeah, that's what I was reminded of.
4: Yeah, a lot of that stuff was kind of you know. And, and a little bit of, you know, looking at Geiger, and, or Geiger, however you would say it, and trying to keep them looking highly magical. Also, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of, uh, definitely a lot of stuff from Stargate, the original Stargate aliens, the Ori, the, the guys with the, the helmets from the original Stargate, trying to keep that look of a little bit of fantasy, but definitely technology-based. Right? Someone said Technomage, I saw on Twitter at one point. That yeah, reminded them of techno-ages. But it's definitely technology-based. It just looks so magical, and, you know, that it seems like magic because it's so advanced the technology and so different.
1: It's more technical than Q, and Q seems magical. Yeah, good point.
4: It's definitely more technical than Q. I think Q would still win. <laughs> <I don't> th- <laughs> Q still, he would still, I don't think who would win in a fight, Q or the Iconians. I'm sure Q could probably still whisk him away with their hands. It's definitely supposed to seem not foreign, and in some ways very out of place with everything else we've seen in Star Trek before.
1: So... Uh, How about that story? So I've openly expressed my opinion saying that Deep Space Nine was kind of... Meh. Especially when it came to showing the impact of the Dominion War. Jace, Jace, next question,
4: Jace. Sorry. Wait, 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 wait. Because Jace pointed out, you know,
1: we said, you know, show, don't tell, right? And they didn't really show. But I really appreciated the story uh, in Star Trek Online Season 10 and how it melded with playable content and made me feel as though I was very much a part of a very threatening situation. And so here we are. Everything we've played over the last five years has led us to this point. And already we've lost a fourth of the fleet. The preservers are gone without giving... Well, we just spoiled it, so spoiler alert. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So without giving spoilers of course what is the plan for the story are we going to be fighting this war for a long time coming or is this going to be a quick battle before we move on to the next story
4: it's just going to run for season 10 so by the time we get to season 11 we'll be we'll be moving away from that but there'll be more than one drop along the way so I just we've got about five more episodes to tell or so and so they'll be dropping periodically along the way with additional voice talent that, that's coming along to tell that story along with, uh, you know, along with the cues. I can't remember if there's another cue being released or not before then. It will be basically, we're not going to drag it on, we're not going to introduce another race, we're not going to introduce, like, another, like, super, like, oh, there's, like, an Iconian, super Iconian, you know, another alien along the way. I know that's that's been pulling the strings the whole time. It wasn't the Iconians at all. You know, this is it. We're gonna focus on this. It's going to be, like I said, about five more featured episodes that will focus around this story entirely. We'll be introducing lots of twists and turns. It will lead into the next arc that we have planned through season eleven and 2016 and beyond. So we're gonna it's it's gonna lead right into that and. Uh, it's going to be, this is a big war that's going to have a lot of repercussions. There's going to be a lot of, it's going to be very grim. There's going to be a lot of sense of loss, a lot of sense of overwhelming, overwhelming like what What can you possibly do? You're not going to be able to beat this by punching it in the face, right? And it's going to, uh, and I promise
2: you, it's going to feel very Star Trek.
4: That's, that's probably even more than I would want to say.
2: Or grim. I already was almost depressed playing the first featured episode.
4: <laughs> it's... Yes, I mean, this is, this is an overwhelming
2: force, right? Huh, huh. Yeah. No, absolutely. Folks have made a good point that, I forget the name of the scale, but the Iconians, because they have mastered Dyson spheres, are this type 2 civilization where they can access all the energy of an entire star, whereas all of the Federation and KDF and all the Milky Way races are basically type 1 civilizations. They're a, an order of magnitude beyond us on the technology scale, and the one group that we thought we had sort of in our back pocket got wiped out right away, which was a real blow to me. That archive was one of my favorite things in the game. So, effective storytelling, I suppose. You can see them again if you if you, if you start a new character. <laughs> well, I, I actually just played through that arc recently on my uh, Delta Recruit, so it really drove it home because it was so fresh.
1: You talk about it being, you know, the direction turning a bit grim. You know, I'm almost disappointed that we're not going to get five or ten levels worth of content missions of, of boots on the ground, right? Like, like I almost want seven seasons of this Iconian War, kind of what I wish D- Deep Space Nine would have been. <laughs>
4: I don't think we want to drag this story out for, for multiple seasons. I mean, it's been the story that we've been focusing on for the last couple of years, and I think it would get tired pretty quickly if we kept having a dark story for the next couple of years of grim, grim, grim uh, boot, uh, boots on the ground war. I mean, Star Trek still has to be about a better future, about about uh, uh, exploration and about, you know, a hopeful future. And we can't stay in the darkness for too long. Otherwise, it just doesn't, you know, then it just feels like you're in the JJ-verse or something. So we don't want to do that. We do, you know, we want, we, we promised an epic Iconian story. And, it, you know, it's about as many episodes as Delta Rising. So all together. I mean, that's about the, the order of magnitude of story you're, you're, you're going to get out of it. You're not going to get an Adventure Zone and necessary patrols. But the amount, the the story flow content that you got, that number of episodes is pretty similar to what you'll get from this arc.
0: So let's talk about the relationship between content and systems. How do the two teams work together to produce something like a new PVE cube?
4: Both of those teams fall under me. So I'm the lead designer and then I have a systems lead, Phil Zaleski, Phil Gorgonzola Zaleski. And the content lead, Charles Earl Grey, Charles Grey. He's our content lead. aren't you going to give me cheers for phil Yes. when we're designing the next season the next piece of content we generally start with the story i mean if it's not related to the story systems you know that's like for instance if we're going to do a pilot if we're going to do a new i don't know a new starship or something it's not always tied into stories but we actually do try like in this case we were very specific about introducing the pilot specialization along with bringing in tom paris well, he's in the t- he's in the pilot ship in the episode, right? So we introduce those things, and we've got a few ships coming out in the future that are going to tie in with the content as well. So sometimes the system kind of ties in that way. So we'll plan the things we want to do, is just okay, let's release this here with this, let's release this with this. You know, simple and easier enough example of that might be the Solne ships when we did the Solanae, uh not the Solne ship, the the, the Solne you know. Uh, last year's anniversary event, the Dyson science ships. So uh, if we're going to do a queue, it's largely driven by content. So the very first thing that we do is we decide the story arc, plan out the story arc, what's it going to be. And when we have a story arc, okay, it's going to be about the Iconians, or it's going to be Delta Quadrant, or it's going to be the you know the Voth, or whatever whatever our story arc is going to be. We want our queue to kind of tell... Part of the story as well. Part of the, in, in this case, you know you're going back into that, that herald sphere, that, that switching hub, um, or you're going back to defend Quonos, or like when we did the Undine arc, you know the undines were out every, they were infiltrating Bezu or they're attacking the different planets, Quonos or, or Gorn and, and, and so on. So we want the cues to tie into the story, but be independent upon themselves. On the system side, when it comes to a queue or even a mission, generally all that's involved is the critter groups. It's the only thing that systems is involved in is actually making the critters themselves the bosses if there's a boss and, and the rewards. So generally what you know, that they, they, they kind of just happen, you know, simultaneously. We know that we're gonna do we're gonna do the heralds and we're gonna and we know that we're gonna do a herald story. What happens then is that usually the mission is well underway before the critter group is completed so we have to make a placeholder critter group usually we'll just take the klingons or something or something that might be as close as possible maybe we i think we use the alachi this time as the placeholder critter group for the herald so basically you just take those you duplicate them all you call them all heralds and then those start showing up in the mission for a while but in, until the new the actual critter group start showing in you don't really have a good sense of balance and how it, and how it plays it's, oh my goodness the you know these brutes are just really too hard in this in, in hallways or something. Or this captain is just doesn't work really well in this in this environment. And so then you have to adjust. And then if you're gonna do a boss, then the boss is usually two people, the system the person in charge of making that boss and the person making the mission will work together in deciding what is it that we want this boss to do, like the spawn mother in the bug hunt. That was Kate and Jeff who worked on that and then and Jeff Jeff Hamilton. And so those two work together to make sure that, well, what does, what does content need? What's the environment going to be like? Okay, I, I need you know I need them, her to be able to burrow. I need her to be able to do this. I want her to be able to eat the baby the baby bugs and get stronger. And so they, they, they work together to, uh, to make that happen. It generally works pretty well. It's a pretty well old machine. Our content is really well designed that you can just kind of like switch the critter group out and for the most part, you know, it wouldn't even matter to content. Like, we could change the entire mission or the entire um, queue to a completely different critter group, and it would just work for the most part. There may be a few, you know, things that, may, like, maybe if you put through the Voth in a certain environment, their ship may not fit because it's so big, or it won't make sense story wise, but it's pretty interchangeable. And then our rewards follow. That's one of the last things that we kind of actually build, but, uh, you know, build and, and plan and, and plan out. It's like what exactly the rewards are going to be if we are do a reward scheme like we've been doing lately like a different reward that unlocks every week um is something that we've been doing a lot with a lot of lately and that just uh that just plugs right in anybody can really do that so that's not much of a big deal so it's really not a lot of magic it's just i mean it's really driven everything is just driven by the story that we plan out for uh you know and making sure that that all everything kind of fits together and has the same kind of theme was that that less exciting of an answer than you were hoping for.
0: <laughs> it was very exciting. But it, it leads me to another question, actually. You said, okay, so there's three queues, three new cues out and then you said there might be another one coming. Is that going to mean that we're going to see some cues disappear.
4: What led you to that thought?
0: Because, like, no-win scenario, like, uh, we have a community question, porch song asked, when is no-win scenario coming back? Is it coming back? No, we're
4: not planning on removing any cues. No-win scenario will come back, but it will be back in a very different form. It probably, probably won't be what you remember it as. But, uh, I mean, we had to remove no-win scenario for uh, a number of reasons, not, not the least of which being that the, uh, the reward scheme wasn't working really well with the way we were doing rewards now for cues. It was no longer no-win and in order to bring it back into place, players would have foreseen it seen it as too much of a nerf to get it to, to normalize it where it needed to be. So it says, wow, this is, just, this is just going to need more work than it is just to be able to just change a couple reward tables. We're not planning on uh, anything specific being removed, particularly anything new from the queues. There are certainly some cues that I think are just so old that they probably need to be retired. They're not being played. Some of the really old stuff, like... Maybe Gorn My- minefield, or maybe uh, breaking the planet. I don't even think you guys call it—we call it breaking the planet p- publicly anymore. No, that was just what we call it internally. What do we call that publicly? Um, but it's, uh, it's the one that's on the on the lava planet with the Klingons. It's
0: still breaking the planet. Is
4: it breaking the planet? We have—I have a lot of names that we call these things internally that they're not that they're different names publicly, and I get them mixed up. Which is the which is the public name, which is the internal name. So there's a few of those that are just wow, that's just that's that's really old. So
0: most of them are safe.
4: Yeah, most of them are safe. What we're thinking of doing is, you know, we're thinking of doing things to try to drive people to uh, to queues, such as uh, put queues into rotation, right? We have so many queues where people are so spread out and people were like, I, excuse me, I can never play the Salt Vampire queue because it takes 20 people and no one queues no up for it. So we're thinking of taking some out of rotation so that way there aren't as many to choose from because bottom line is whatever. We have a pool of people that play... Play the queue. Let's just say there's 100 of them, 100 people that play. It's more than 100, obviously. But let's just say there's 100, and let's say we have 50 queues. Well, you can't launch every queue with that many people. So if we reduce that to, say, 25 queues, then people will be condensed, everyone will be able to play what they want, and then you rotate them out a little time. So we've been thinking about doing something like that. We've also thought about doing using more of a carrot and saying that, okay, today or this week, you know, triple rewards on vicious cycles. Right? And so everyone will probably play that. So try that way everybody gets to play the different cues and they go through and people aren't getting burnt out on just playing. Well, we all know what you're all playing. You're playing uh, Borg Disconnected, you're playing Infected Space, right? So people are playing the same, uh, playing Azure Nebula, and generally playing because they gravitate to the ones that are fun, that are easy, and reward well. And um, the Spire is one of my favorites. It's a long cue, right? It's still people are playing it, but it's not as popular because it's so long. So we need to do we need to do things to kind of get things in the rotations. There's probably a handful that I probably would just crush, and these are probably ones that launched some of the ones that we released when we launched the game. Like I said, maybe Starbase Twenty Four and uh, Breaking the Planet. There's the uh, Romulan Temple. It's at the Big Dig. That's the, I think it's the Big Dig. So the, I don't I don't even know if anyone's playing the, the amount of plays on those are so small, um, and they're so old. Now they're probably time to retire those and uh, but most of everything else is still still pretty solid and fresh although I do a lot of the board queues I think need a need a pass to kind of freshen them up but they're but they're still good so I hope that answers your question we'll, we'll probably we'll, we'll probably do a few things we'll also still need to go through all the queues um, we're spending uh, some time in a few couple of weeks we're going to get started on updating all the advanced queues the way we advanced, updated the advanced uh, Azure nebula that way, it's not available in advance. So we're going to start going through all the cues and doing something similar to that to all the advance cues as many as we can. A lot of them will get updated, and all the rewards will get updated for them.
1: I want to ask in turn when when designing a new queue, um, how often do you guys try to push the limits? I mean, you know, more often than not, the next mission is always better than the last one. In, in the in the designing of content for the game. How often do you guys really try to push the limit for, for new objectives or new game mechanics to really keep players on their toes and introduce new and exciting systems?
4: Just really driven by the team, to be honest with you, the individual contributor. I think that there's a, um, there's a little bit of a, I don't know if I even want to call it a friendly rivalry, but there, there's, a, there's a sense of pride, I uh, would probably be the best way of putting it, that each each designer, each content designer, sees what everyone else is doing, and wants to build the next best thing. And it's like, oh, I just, I, you know, I just they want to impress the, you know, their coworkers. They want to impress the players. We're all very creative people. We want to just make something awesome. And sometimes the the leads, you know, myself uh, Charles Rokosa, the the EP and the content lead, will say, you know, this queue needs to be about this about x or y and because it needs to tell this story piece sometimes it's like uh like the the herald sphere switching post that's live right now that one was like pretty much entirely designed by Jadawa the the content designer himself like go nuts and just it just has to be about the iconian war and just come back with whatever you want to come you know come up with jesse did the uh, uh brotherhood of the sword which was um the one on the ground and all we said is, like, let's just make this, we want a ground cue that's going to be about the war. And so let's put it on Quonos. Let's put it somewhere, somewhere not- noteworthy. The other thought was putting it on a, a Starfleet Academy. Uh, we had already done Bejor enough. But, you know, we want to always make sure that we, uh, whenever we get an opportunity to represent the Klingons uh, in, in the war, especially in a war like this, that it's probably important to show the Klingon side of the war that's pretty much it and then the individual designer says you know what I've got six weeks what can I do in six weeks and then they'll design something and plan something and pitch it and and then it gets approved uh, or modified and then we just we just make it and then it's up to the individual designer to make sure that it gets done so really it's a, a lot of this is especially the cues are really driven by the individual designers the missions themselves are a little more well a lot more constrained because the story beats are a lot more specific from me and the other leads as far as what we need to get out of that. Uh, they get to fill in the details, but the actual story beats are usually coming much for, much more from the top. If they want to start adding crazy mechanics to it, to, to it, like a spacewalk or flying over a sun or something like that, usually a really big featured episode, we have two types of featured episodes. We have ones that we do in three weeks and ones we do in six weeks. And the six-week ones are more like, you know, more end-cappy ones. And those are the ones that usually have some sort of gimmick associated with them. So we want a really big wow moment. Well, how about walking on top of Deep Space Nine or taking a solar walk over the sun or doing some grappling and rappelling or something like that? And so let's all, everyone put their effort into that wow moment. And that usually is, is um, that's 50-50 if it's driven from management or the individual. But the cues are, are largely the individual contributors and it just happens because that's just what they they have an individual passion for.
2: Switching gears a little bit, ever since Delta Rising, the Starship Mastery System has made a huge impact on the effectiveness of folks' starships in the game, much like genetic resequencers affecting your captain traits, both space and ground. So has there been any thought towards having starship traits available in another format, whether separately like genetic resequencers or rewarded through other means. Uh, For example, we had a listener, Ward Collis, express that his Romulan tune would love one of the KDF traits, kind of like how you do the cross-faction consoles.
4: Uh, Well, you can already get some starship traits, like, for instance, from your specialization, right? Your specialization will unlock a starship trait. Is there another way currently that you can get a starship trait? I know you can get a specialization, get them from the starship. I don't think there currently is another way. But yes, we actually have discussed doing cross-faction starship traits because, inevitably, they are there's always going to be more on the Federation side because we just have more players there and we build more Federation ships. It's the Star Trek game and it's, a, it's mostly a Federation game and it always, it always will be because we, that's just what most people play and that's what most people are used to and expect to see when they come to a Star Trek game. Just like the Starship consoles, there were more Federation ships and so we started introducing the cross-faction consoles that would appear in, in, uh, in our lockboxes. So we've talked about whether or not we wanted to do Starship Traits In lockboxes, cross faction those as well. Now that there's more starships out there, and we're really, and we've got a lot of starships planned over the next year, we're trying to refill our coffers of, you know, because we have a lot of tier five ships, and trying to refill our coffers to have a huge supply of tier six ship options for everybody. So as those options become more and more available, then it starts becoming more, more viable and reasonable. Okay, enough time has passed, and we can probably start making the opposite faction starts starship traits available and other means and so I don't know if it will happen, when it will happen or where it will happen but uh, we have been discussing that so it, it probably eventually will happen in some form or another.
0: Speaking of skills specializations and traits, you said that you had thoughts about revamping that system or at least the skills at the very least. Do you have any developments that you'd be willing to share?
4: We have on the schedule keeps changing because of priorities, changing the entire skill system so it looks actually more like the uh, specialization system is more of a traditional power tree um, where each one is and, and what I want to change from the system is, is that it will, you'll no longer have skills that this skill affects all these type of powers. They'll be more like the specializations that this skill does this. It just does this. This skill gives you more damage. Like some of the skills in our skill system are perfectly fine to keep. Bonus energy weapons, bonus shields, bonus haul, those are all fine. But some of the ones get a little more esoteric and really kind of confusing, like Starship power insulators. Quick, Cookie, what do the Starship power insulators do? Starship
0: power insulators. Don't
4: look it up. Starship
0: <laughs> powered. I'm just kidding. Um, do they make it so that your power flow can go to one system to the next easily? Those
4: are flow capacitors. Ah. See? Uh, no, actually, that's not even flow capacitors, is it? Wait, this
0: is it? Makes uh, it so that no, that's the. Even <laughs> I got it wrong.
4: It's not flow capacitors.
2: No, I think you're right with flow capacitors on subsystem power changing speed power transfer rate
4: the fact is they're very esoteric and they don't like this skill affects these type of powers and here's an example and so we add new powers is like oh i don't know which skill does it affect and so i think it's way too way too confusing of a system for for new players i don't know if i need the skill will i need this do i even have tachyon beams and so if you had a power that says this power you know gives you tachyon beams and we're not going to give you tachyon beams we're going to leave that in the bridge officers but things that do more Work more like the traits, and, and a traditional tree is the way we foresee the skill system becoming. So I'm pretty sure that it will happen within the year, definitely before the next acquisition strategy. In other words, if we, you know, if we were to do another delta rising thing, or another expansion, or anything, or another faction, before we get the next influx of, you know, invite a whole bunch of brand new players to the game, we'll want a cleaner skill system. As for the traits, the that we do want to uh, 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 split the the uh, personal traits into ground and space, so people don't swap. They don't need to swap them out depending on what region they're fighting on.
1: All that work for Whatever. nothing. Cookie. I
0: still am glad I have a ground tune and <laughs> a space tune, but that's why I did that. It's just so that, that I didn't have to uncheck all the boxes and then recheck all the boxes and
2: then uncheck. Them. I'm guessing tech-wise, it's probably easier to separate them than it is to link traits to loadouts.
4: The main thing that's that's a problem with with splitting the traits out right now is that most species do not have nine ground and nine space traits to choose from. Right? And none of them have the same number of them. And so they all need to have more than nine ground and more than nine space traits if we were going to split them up. So that way, A, there's a choice and, and B, there's no blank spaces. <laughs> so we're just going to have to make a, a, a good amount of, uh, of new traits to, and to flesh out all the species. That's really what's holding that up. Otherwise, splitting it up is actually quite easy.
2: I hadn't thought about that because I assumed that there would just be some empties until people earned traits either through a few of the missions that give traits or um, you know getting some.
4: It's not enough. The only the only way that you would be able to fill it out is by buying, and uh, we don't like doing that. Yeah, you don't. want don't like saying that you can't participate. Yeah, we don't want to make it so you have to pay money to participate in this system, right? We always give other ways that are just play ways in order to get things within it. Um, You might get better stuff by paying money, but we're not going to say, "Hey, you can't have an active reputation trait without spending money." And so we wouldn't want, and especially we wouldn't want, say, you know, humans to have more full traits than Gorn might might have, you know, space traits or whatever.
0: Why? Why can't Gorns be female?
4: (laughs) I asked because because someone made a mistake. So yeah, they did. What I wanted was it to not say gender at all. Um, It's just genderless, okay, that would be okay. but then I've asked the artist
0: Can they wear any clothes that they want?
4: Have any clothes? Like you want them to wear dresses? No,
0: can they wear any clothes that they want? Yeah, and especially on Riza in the swimsuits.
1: She wants a female Gorn in a bikini.
0: <laughs> Basically is what I'm asking, yes.
4: Um, why can't a male Gorn wear a bikini?
0: I don't know. Can he? I don't think he can. Gorn
4: Gornkini. <laughs> well, Gorns don't have boobies. They don't. They're lizards. So <laughs> what I've asked the artist to do is just make a female Gorn but it just looks exactly the same as the male It's
0: fine, I just...
4: But uh, but what they can wear is actually entirely up to the artist, right? As far as what clothing options are available. And we have Gorn clothes where you wear Klingon clothes. Whether or not to, I think you can wear... Right now, so all the Gorn can only wear probably the the male bathing suits. And you want them to be able to wear the female bathing suits, right? I'm assuming if we made a female Gorn...
0: Other female <laughs> options, too. Like the gowns and...
1: I think in five years, I've never wanted a clip more than... They don't have boobies.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I've never. Heard of it. I'm really. I can't tell you actually how annoyed I am that the female saurians have boobies.
0: I don't want the cations to have boobies either. The or,
4: cations or or are mammals, have like yeah, but I don't think
0: cats should have. <clears throat> but they, to they wear do. Clothes, I mean, first you... of all, and I don't think cats should have boobs.
4: Cats have boobs. They yeah, do. And if you watch the animated series, then give me the female Cation has whatever
0: how many they have.
4: You <laughs> had <With> six boobs. <laughs>
2: Don't just give me two. Now that's spoken like Gene Roddenberry, right there. <laughs>
4: <laughs> no, if you watch the animated series where the female Cation is, it's she looks feminine. She looks, you know, she has a human contours. So that's.
0: Does she have to wear clothes? Is she wearing
4: clothes? Yeah, she wears clothes. They wear clothes.
2: Yeah, she wears a TOS uniform. Mm-hmm.
4: That's what they are, but the saurians shouldn't. They're lizard. They're they're amphibians or reptiles. I'm not quite sure what they are, um, but they.
2: Sh- I I heard that you almost said they're geckos. <laughs> they are geckos in my opinion.
4: In my personal, <laughs> in my in my mind, saurians are geckos. That's a headcanon. So um, that is the the order of geckos is actually Sauria. Oh, uh, I actually had is a, is a, if you look it up that's that actually was I had my own personal website it was Sauria.tv. It doesn't exist anymore because that was. That's the order for geckos, um, or the class, or whatever I forgot which scientific convention it was.
2: I like that. Speaking of the Gorn, I like the names of the Gorn ships all have some connection to that too. Like the yeah, the Varanus is the monitor lizard or the Komodo dragon. I forget which.
4: Yeah, I, I always hit the Latin stuff whenever doing that. Even back from City of Heroes, the giant octopus was Lusca. That's like the, that's that's the Latin name for octopus. And even the dinosaurs are some Latin names for dinosaurs in the, on the Voth and the sh- names of the ships of the Undine are based on some crabs. Huh. There's a, a, a lot of those things are, we just hit, like the Fekiri, if people are familiar with the Fekiri, probably the least crew kur- kur- group that people play because it's only on the Klingon side. Um, all their ships are named after ancient boats because they look like boats. So yeah, we always hit Latin or scientific names when we're kind of designing those, that, that stuff. But uh, yeah, to answer your question, I want female Gorn. I would want them to look exactly like male Gorn. They probably then would end up have access to the female bikinis from Ryza if they had that. But I don't know. No, I don't know. I asked artists to do that at their next possible convenience, but it's not free to do. So, um, it's not up to me.
0: So, if I was forced to make a male Gorn, but I named him a gender-neutral name, so then in retro, will it retroactive, or will I have to make a new Gorn?
4: Yeah, you would have to make a new Gorn. You're not going to be able to, there's no gender-swapping um, option in, uh, in Star Trek, the, the only other way to do it is just instead just make the Gorn just genderless. It just doesn't say male or female. In which case he would, behind the scenes, be male, but on, but text-wise would say. So
0: then it would retroactive if it was if all Gorns were gender neutral, then my current Gorn would then be gender neutral.
4: Would be gender neutral, but you would have access to the same types of clothes. You wouldn't get access to to the to to bikinis.
0: Okay, well let's wait and see what happens. This is an important
4: issue. It is very important. <laughs> I can tell. This is when we start a new segment uh, after uh, for for, Gorn uh, Gorn uh, uh, sexual equality.
1: That's what we need. As much as I want to continue talking about this, <laughs> I can <laughs> <laughs> So going back quickly to, to systems. So I suppose a new system like a skill revamp falls into quality of life improvements. No, I think it goes uh, a
4: skill revamp goes beyond what I consider quality of life improvement. I think UI improvements. Is a is is a quality of life improvement. I, I, w- I would think that the skill revamp is actually something I consider imperative for the health of the game, okay. because I think that in its current form, it is um, too is is a barrier of entry for new players. Once you once you're in the game for a while, you don't, you don't even think about it. And the last, I mean, I haven't touched my skills. I don't since forever. It's been years. So, and when I make a new character, I basically end up following the same path every time, picking the same skills I do all the time, and then I never even think about it again. As a new player, it's a really daunting system, and I think it can scare away a lot of players. They can make bad choices and, uh, and end up in a bad state where, where their character is underperforming to a point where they, the game's not fun for them. So I think it's more than a quality of life improvement, in my opinion. It just needs to... Uh, it's not what I consider accessible. I think it functions perfectly fine. And I think it's perfectly understandable once you've invested some time into it, but it's not accessible to new players. Um, I think it's just generally daunting. So yeah, I think that's that's important. I would I would uh, consider what we did with bridge officer trainings, kind of be along the same lines. That needed a lot of help. That probably isn't wasn't quite as imperative, but I some of the things that were concerning me is that we were seeing data where people had never trained their bridge officer, right? And so they were captains and still had the same starting, you know, same starting bridge officers all with one instant power because they never promoted their bridge officer. And so, so it's like, well, that's more than quality of life. That's a system that's failing. So, so now that can't happen. If you want to change your powers, you, you can, and it's much easier, but you'll always, your powers will always scale. You'll, your, your, your bridge officers automatically get the next power. So that's what I mean where it's, there's a, there's kind of a fine line between whether or not, is it quality of life or is it just really, the system is just inadequate for the audience that we're trying to reach
1: and you wouldn't marry something like the specialization with the skill tree system i think that's
4: kind of the goal and that the it's i mean i could see a completely redo or revamp where you just have a skill tree and at the bottom of the tree are the specializations right because they'll be so similar just you won't be able to unlock them until you've you know gotten to the end of the tree so i i think that the the UI will end up looking similar and may possibly even merge together. So yeah, I think I think you could you could see that. I don't think you're, you're still not going to start to get specializations until you are 50. I do think that they'll be start becoming more similar to the point that they could possibly be merged together. But by merging them, it's just whether or not they're merged in the UI, and I, I couldn't even begin to predict what the UI might end up looking like in the future.
1: Now, what about other systems like Crafting, doffing, star bases. Are there any plans kind of to improve those? I mean, one for instance, of course, is selectable modifiers on crafting items. I know this is a recurring topic that we bring up periodically.
4: Uh, we have time on the schedule coming up uh, for two of those. So, additions to the crafting system are, are on the schedule uh, for, for a future update. So, that inc- uh, might include tuning some costs and whether or not a, a new system such as a, um, you know, choosing mods or changing mods uh, or adding more recipes. Basically, we have this, you know, six or eight weeks schedule, I think like six weeks schedule to update the crafting system. And that's just on the schedule in the future. When we get to that point, we will sit down in a meeting and say, what do we want to do with the crafting system? Do we want to let you choose your mods? Okay, how long will that take? And we'll have to investigate that. We'll design it, we'll plan it out, we'll talk with engineering. Oh, that's going to take 12 weeks to do. We can't do that right now. So, oh no, that's only going to take three weeks to do. Great. Let's do that. What else can we do with the three weeks we have remaining? So we'll basically, we've got time scheduled for improvement to the crafting system, and we'll just add that when we get close to that time, we'll scope it out and see what we can achieve in the amount of time allotted. Uh, fleets uh on the other hand uh we also have time allotted and we are going to be bringing uh, a lot of great stuff to fleets coming up very soon um we have uh unlike unlike crafting we've already scoped it so we know exactly what we're doing for crafting excuse me for star bases pardon me and so that work has uh has has recently started so they'll, they'll be uh some great new stuff coming for fleets and it's some things that people have been asking for for a long time and some of it will be tied to our iconian war story so it's all going to come together there and the last one is duty officer and that is definitely a system that that uh, that I want to approve I think we'll see that maybe approved in two stages it would be the second and third stage because the first stage was improving the UI the second thing I want to do is improve the assignments and uh, for instance I, I, I I really, you know, don't like it when I says, wow, I got a very rare assignment pops up and it's actually worse rewards than the uncommon one that's right above it. I was like, what is up with that? It's in every way inferior. And I really don't know why that's happening. So I, I, all I can do is apologize for that. Um, so I think think Vorticus
2: actually tweeted or posted something on the forum about that recently, wanting to, wanting to take a look at some of those, either how they're generated or what they're rewarding
4: yeah what i'd like to do and i don't know if we'll do this because we're gonna have to sit down and just kind of talk about it and vorticus does no more about the system than i do he's certainly worked on it a lot more than i have is i you know, first of all i want to i want to normalize the rewards so that way you know what if you get a very rare assignment it's got you know very rare rewards it's got good rewards the common assignments gonna you will know, we'll give you know modest rewards so I want to I want to uh, be wow I got that purple assignment came up and I'm really happy about that definitely do that throw my best guys in that as opposed to half the time I ignore them because they don't give me what I want so I want to do that the other thing I want to do is I want to start I want to stop making them like like burritos uh, what I mean by that is like it's every assignment gives you either some combination of rice bean cheese or you know, or meat, and it's just okay. It's got a little bit more meat, and it's got a little bit more rice. And it's got a little more beans in it. Um, I want. I. I don't. I. <laughs> I well, I mean, that's right. If you get, it, I mean, that's 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 what burritos are like, right? i mean, when you I'm buy going me. to Gracias Madres tonight, <laughs> <laughs> so I want the I, I want the assignments to be, um, you know, if you're doing medical assignments, you're going to get these kind of rewards, right? If you're doing and if you're doing science assignments, you'll get these kind of rewards. Um, if you do, uh, so so that way. Everything should have should have meaning it's not like it, right now it, it, it doesn't really matter whether or not you're doing an engineering assignment uh, or if you're doing a science assignment. so I want them to have them make more sense. I also want to improve assignment chains so that way there's a, there, there's a little bit more a little more understandable what you need to do to complete your chain. So that would be like the next stage I, I, I think that we want to do like I said, we still have a lot of discussion to do and maybe there's better things to do maybe maybe some of my ideas are Maybe not so cool. We'll see. Uh, we'll have to talk about that. The last stage I want to do is just kind of – I kind of want to uh, – it's probably going to be a little bit more, more controversial. And so I just want – I want to uh – I want to change the way the doff cards themselves. I'm not really happy with the way the doff cards themselves work. This is where it starts getting controversial when you start getting hate mail on priority one. <laughs> I can't believe the uh-huh. house said this. But, uh, <laughs> um, I, but you
0: say it anyway, so go ahead.
4: <laughs> well, I mean, these are my pie-in-the-sky <laughs> ideas. And so these are not, don't worry, nobody panic. This isn't what's happening. But but I think that the, um, that duty officer cards are too bland. They're, every card has, you know, every, every duty officer, you know, has four portraits and, and a specialization and it's mostly meaningless you never get the you never really get that feeling of and they're all algorithmically generated so it's like thousands and thousands of duty officers you never get that feeling of like when you open a magic the gathering pack and you go oh my god i got the black lotus or i got the shiv and dragon or something like that you never get that feeling of something being really special and and what you don't also get is you know what if i'm i'm going to send my projectile you know uh specialists or I'm going to send my diplomat and that really having a difference on the assignment other than chance of success. I'd love it. So if you send a duty officer that has, if you send the guy who's a diplomat, you might get a diplomatic reward out of it. If you send the guy who's a war specialist, you're going to get a different type of reward out of it or change. The, it will change the outcome in some other way. And that you really want this special gold foil card because it has these special abilities that will always come back with 500 lithium every time you send this guy an assignment or something like that. I don't know. So that's a much bigger change, what I just talked about, as opposed to tuning the assignment so they award better based on rarity and, and school uh, or, or, excuse me, commendation. So, so those are some things that, that uh, are scheduled a little bit later. Those are uh, after the other two things that we talked about. When it's later, it's on the schedule, but the later back things are, the more likely they are to move or change as we get closer to schedule based on uh, whatever happens to be happening at time. Because we plan things out really far. Yeah. We have things planned out to, to late 2016 right now. But you know, I'm pretty sure everything we have planned for 2016 will not happen. But it's the best target we can guess at until you know factors change, we get new hires, we get less hired, you know, people leave, or, or uh, the company's strategy changes, or we need more money, or we're doing really well, so we, need, we don't we can do something more creative, or whatever, or J.J. Abram blows up Romulus or something, and then we have to change our whole story again. So we have to react to whatever happens to be in the environment, and that, so things tend to change as we move out. But I think, um, I think the, uh, that first stage I said as far as tuning the assignments on duty officers was probably likely to happen, I'm hoping, this year.
1: Let me go back a quick second regarding Fleet Starbases. I, I know that you probably won't be able to go into too much detail as to what's on the pipeline, but it's more than just a new holding. And then with respect to doffing, um, I think I would appreciate a, some kind of, you know, update to it, because I, I gotta be honest, I don't know that I've ever really fully understood the doffing system, uh, and, and have been able to wrap my mind around it. I know that I want really great doffs in my active space roster, or my active ground roster, but I often go in and just start clicking with the highest number rewards, right? I find, oh, a thousand reward XP? Yeah, I want that one. Click, 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 click. But I don't, other than the, the XP reward or progressing in rank and getting a green or blue or purple duty officer, I find sometimes I, j- I don't, like, what what is the end game for the DOF system? And I never really understood it.
4: I don't know if there's necessarily supposed to be an end game to to any of the systems that we make for Star Trek Online. but right. but But you are hitting on the right... You know, you're hitting the right notes, and that's exactly what, uh, what I'm talking about. I, I play the duty officer system the way you do. Every day, I log in, and I hit my assignments, and, and, uh, and I, go through, I go through all the, you know, the current map, the personal map, and all the department heads, and I pick out the ones that have the most lithium and have the most XP. And then after that, I look, for, uh, I look for contraband and I look for colonists and refugees. And then after that, I start looking to see what's, whether or not there's a, a maybe I'll pick up some crafting materials. And unfortunately, UI doesn't really just give you a, a generic UI for you don't know what you're going to get. But I generally have a good idea about which one of these assignments is going to give me a crafting material. There's no strategy involved into which assignment I'm doing or which assignment I'm doing. I will go to New Delta to the Delta Quadrant to get good XP because I know there's good XP and assignments out there. Uh, there's a few, a handful of locations that, that I know have have some things that I'm looking for. But for the most, you know, uh, and then if I happen to be at some locations like if you're on uh, if you're on Earth, space dock, drop off your you know your contraband or your prisoners or go down to the academy to go and get uh, some recruitment and get some new duty officers. But the duty officers in which I choose to put into the assignment has very little meaning other than the resu- other than the numerics, and the and the automatic selector basically does a really good job at picking the most optimal officer you, duty officer you can send. So there's no tactics or strategies involved in uh, in in what you are and how you start assignment. It's just picking the ones with the highest numbers that you like, and that is. Uh, so yeah, that's what I want to change about the system. I want the I want, uh, you know, I've always wanted the system to play more like a combination of Magic: The Gathering and Farmville. So you've got, car- you know, it's so you get a you want new cards that are that have function. Like if you, you know, if you tap this, you're going to get this type of mana, or if you get this, it will have this, you'll get this bonus. But on the Farmville side, that is, you are working towards. I want to bake bread, so at first I have to go until the soil, and I have to plant the seeds, and I have to water it, and then I have to harvest it, and then I have to mill it and then I have to mix it and I have to put it in bakery and it's oh now I can make bread now you can make cookies Now, but I need sugar for that so kind of that's what I mean by farm bill so you have like sequences of things you need to do send people on assignments to complete tasks and then get a reward out of it but getting the better cards that have different outputs along the way is the other half of that so um, I mean I can see you know, like I'd want to imagine like if you're doing engineering assignments every time you do an engineering assignment, you're doing something to give a buff to your ship Right, an engineering buff. Every time you're doing a tactical assignment it might give you a tactical buff to your ship. Every time you're doing a science assignment, you might get you're gonna get maybe some uh, some crafting materials. Every time you're doing operations, maybe that will always get you dilithium. I don't know. I'm just kind of now I'm just kind of brainstorming. But something like that and certain chains, it's like, okay, you know what, in the end we really want this decolithium. What is the path to get decalithium? And instead of the way the chains work now, which is you run across a chain assignment. It's like oh i happen to get this one it's one of six and you don't know what you're going to get along the way i kind of want like here's the chain do you want to do this chain and you start doing the chain until the end and when you do all six assignments you get you get the macguffin at the end but it's you've already, you see the chain ahead of you it's like here's all the chains that are available like this is what you need to do to make cookies and this is what you need to do to make a barn or whatever and so so you you oh oh i'm going to need you know what i'm going to need that uh warp core specialist because I can't do this assignment without a War Course specialist to get that, or I'm going to need I'm going to need these materials, and so I'm going to have to go out and find these one specific things before I can get to the next step. So, that's a pretty big overhaul. But your your impressions and the way you play is very common, and you so you're you you understand exactly what the what the what the issues are, how, what the end solutions will be. You know, I have my ideas they always change when we go into brainstorms and start figuring out what we're going to do. So we'll see what will happen. But baby steps, little steps at a time. First step, make the assignments make more sense with their rarity.
1: And one last follow-up question. You mentioned that there's already a plan for the Starbase system versus the, let's say, crafting system. Is there any reason why it happened in that particular order? Why not crafting system first and then visit the Starbase? Because
4: we haven't done anything with Starbases in a very long time. Okay. Right, And I think so people, and so it's time to come back to the system. We have lots of different systems in the game, and our strategy on the team is to try to have enough different systems in the game. That way, every update, we're not doing the same thing, that we're not always doing a reputation, or we're not always doing a specialization, or we're not always doing a crafting update. So that way, every time there's a new season or a new expansion, that we're not getting into a rut of the same thing. Something new for the players to start investing in. Because, for instance, we were getting stale for a while. I thought that every expansion was a reputation, reputation. And that was the one thing that you would have to do was the next reputation. So we added crafting, we added specializations. So that way, when we release an update, we can do one or those, you know, and so it would be something different for people to be focusing their energy on. And the next update would be something else, something. And one of the things in those that should be in that rotation is fleets. And what would people, so it's like, what, so people like something fresh for fleets. And fleets have just, we haven't done anything for them for a long time. And there's a lot of things that they need in addition to a holding. And so uh, we want to, I, I think it's time that we uh, we dedicate some time for that. But we're talking, the difference in time that we're talking about is not years. We're talking about months as far as working on one versus the other. Um, they both need attention. And they both, and, you know, it's an online game. It'll just, it's never going to stop. It's just what's, what's next sometimes it's just a matter of opinion internally. Now we're going to do this
1: and that's what we do. Alright, well why don't we go ahead and shift into uh, asking some community questions in the last little part of our interview here. Uh, Cookie, why don't you take our first... Yes, Sarcasm
0: Detector had a question about the lag in the game. He wanted to know if we could get more transparency on the issue. It's been going on for months now, and it's only getting worse. So, what's going on exactly, and what's being done about it?
4: Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know anything about it because you owe
1: me five dollars, Cookie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes.
4: All right. I'm glad I was able to settle that. This thing. <laughs> I don't, you don't. I don't know, know anything, anything about, about it. it. I don't know anything about it because I don't. I mean, I don't. I'm in design. I know nothing about engineering or server.
0: Do, have you heard people talking up by the cooler?
4: Absolutely. I know that they're working on it. I know that there are lots of different things uh, that are going on, including hardware, including some of it just being entirely outside of cryptic, like Boston, where a lot of our servers are. Some of it is hey, maybe we need to improve the performance of these things. And uh, I've got a lot on my plate, and I've learned that it's, um, it's a lot easier to stay sane if you just kind of pay attention really hard to the things that you can affect. And there's nothing I can do to affect this, and we have a really good team, and I trust our engineers at our Network Operations Center to, uh, to deal with this, and that's their focus. I've sometimes seen lag. I have not experienced nearly as much lag as other players have. I know that it is an issue that has been discussed, that is well known, and it is a priority for the engineering team and the operations team. But um, I'm not paying it; have not been paying attention to what the status is of, of it. If I sat in and listened into what the problem was, I probably wouldn't understand it. So, because I'm sure it's going to be some sort of uh, but they're
0: aware of it and they're working on it. Yeah, there's, there's
4: gremlins in the system, and they are aware of it and working on it.
2: So. Uh Brian Eaton asked uh, if there are any plans to expand the relevance of Gold Press Latinum. It's, in canon, sort of this universal currency outside of the Federation or even for some fringy activities inside the Federation. So it would be kind of cool if there were some items that could just be earned via GPL instead of just the very limited selection we have right now.
4: Jeremy Randall, uh, uh, Bordicus, has uh, actually has some, uh, some stuff he wants to get in there. There was a recent meeting about, oh, we could put this in the GPL store. Uh, we've even talked about moving some of the things that don't sell in the C store, just put them into the GPL store. Things that aren't even available anymore, like some emotes, perhaps. So um, it, it has actually recently been discussed. I don't know if it's much of a priority right now, but um, you know a long time ago, a lot of the stuff that we had uh, planned to go in the GPL store all ended up in the uh, low-buy store. Right, and so if I had probably like shipped the game today, they probably would be no such thing as low buy, and that whole thing would be that would be the GPL store, right? But we have this GPL currency, which is in this that you get to earn at the Dabo tables, and I don't think that we could put low buy and you know an equivalent or a low buy equivalent in the Dabo tables. So things that are going to appear in there, um, there's been it's been harder. Put stuff in there because there's always a propensity to want to put it in the low buy store so it gets far less attention but we've been talking about a few things that would be cheap and 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 fun to possibly throw in there and um i, I i'm not sure what the status is of it at, at this point but but probably but probably not much
1: rob cameron asked will there be a time when you can say be on the bridge when traveling to no <laughs> I know exactly. Been asked this before. There's no way.
4: It's basically you have to be uh, you have to be the Messiah to bilocate. You're talking about being on an interior map while moving in another map, and there's just the technology is far too complicated to ever be able to actually be on the bridge while having your ship still in space and traveling. The closest thing we've talked about is setting a course and then going onto your bridge. And then while you're doing that, your ship would actually vanish from sector space because you're not there anymore. We can't put your character in two locations. Those are two separate maps. So we can't have be, your ship would be removed from sector space. And then you could be on the map, on, on your ground map, and you'd see fake stars, you know, flying by in your window. Uh, and then after the pre-calculated amount of time, of say, OK, it's going to take you actually three minutes to get to this to this planet, then you'll get a warning, beep, you're at your location, then you can go back into space, and then your ship would reappear. I don't think that's the experience people want, So, uh, and I don't think it really gains us much, so that's why that won't happen, but we'll never be able to actually have you looking out the window and steering your ship. We can't have a car- your, have your account be walking on the ground in one map and flying in space in another. It's not, uh, I won't say it's not possible, because anything in code is possible. But it is not it is not practical or probable
1: while you were speaking I was thinking like what about a, like a calculated long teleport so while I'm on my bridge I say I want to go to this system and it'll just be a timer and so when I leave the bridge I'm there
4: yeah that's basically what I was saying is that you could build it that way you wouldn't see out your window about where you're where you're at and your ship wouldn't be in in sector space while that's happening
2: and then you couldn't change course mid yeah I, I would feel do like it. I I went that, down that same thought, like, could you change where you leave to? Kind of like... It
4: becomes a rabbit hole of wanting more and more out of that. Yeah. And it, it's just really novelty. We're not going to get a lot out of it. We just... Players not going to get a lot out of it. Uh, players always want a new bridge when they get a ship. But nobody goes on the bridge. Just, they just don't do it. It's very... Few, I it's go not, on my bridge. Pop- of course, some people can go on it. I know you're there. <laughs> but bridge it's not... Cool. It's not... There's not a really good return on that investment. So it's just not it's just not something it's not something that we are prepared to invest in.
0: Howell Selburn asks on our Facebook page, "Playable Borg ship resistance is futile."
2: We do have the uh, the Borg Cooperative.
4: Yeah, I I've always said that if we ever did another playable faction, I, I think a, a candidate could be. Uh, I think there's several candidates. One of them I think could be Dominion. One could be Cardassian, and and one could be Mirror Universe. Perhaps um, one could be. Uh, liberated Borg, and there was a time where Delta Rising was going to be playable Liberated Borg. Um, that was that was an early that was an early design, and in which case, yeah, you could play either assimilated, whatever ship, um, or actually getting access to the actual Borg ships. And we even mocked up uh, Borg ship movement, so you could kind of instead of turning like banking, that the ships could. Um, you know, like strafe left and right, up and down, you know, in the six axes. So we have, we, have a, we have a ship movement model that can actually just kind of just move in any direction without rotating. So, we, so um, there's no immediate plan. There's nothing on the schedule for it. But um, I think uh, in the lifespan that is Star Trek Online, which, which I'm hoping is at least another five years, uh, who, who, who knows I mean, how long. We show no sign of slowing down. So I see that we get at least 10 years out of Star Trek Online, probably more within that time I think playable liberated Borg will eventually happen but um, nothing in the immediate future and certainly nothing scheduled for it um, we've got a lot, a, a lot more of other things that we're focusing on right now but yeah I'll see that happening I also see playable, playable dominion happening one day so that'll be tougher because we've given away all the other ships and lockboxes already so I don't know what the dominions are going to get access to since all their ships are in, in lockboxes so it's weird So we We didn't have forethought of that when we we released the first ones of those. I don't foresee us putting a Borg ship in the lockbox, for instance. I don't think that will happen because I I would want to retain it for a playable liberated Borg species. And I'm always saying liberated Borg because I don't think you'd ever play as part of the collective and be mindless. (laughs)
2: Like uh, Maria's uh, joke on April Fool's Day. She has. She did a whole bit about uh, playing as the collective. You know, yeah, you yeah, get to yeah. make no decisions. You yeah, know, you can spend eight <laughs> hours a day in your regeneration alcove. Exactly.
4: And then we'll go have yeah,
2: you stand at a console for the other sixteen.
4: Yeah, it doesn't 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 make a lot of sense uh, unless it was a completely different type of gameplay, like you were playing RTS style or something. So I always emphasize it'd be liberated Borg, is like you just breaking free from the collective and. Having like a seven of nine or hue type story, right? Something like that.
2: Oh, that'd be interesting if you start out as uh, part of a collective and your your uh, tutorial mission has you breaking free. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. That's,
2: there you got it. Oh, I see that. I like that. Well, this goes a little bit back to our Gorn discussion. Uh, Michael Lagor, Burst Dragon. Yay, boobies. What's that? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs>
4: I like the I like the way you think, Elijah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> One track. Know mind. where that came from. <laughs> what are you doing, Elijah. Aww. Oh yeah.
2: <laughs> Michael Lagor, is there a Tier Six science ship in development for Klingons or Romulans? The last pure science ship for the KDF came from the early days of the game, and the Romulans' science vessel is effectively also a cruiser, more of a hybrid. Near and dear to my heart because I'm playing a Gorn science officer with all the Goran science ships. I have a tier five U right now, and I'd love to see something like that.
4: There's um, a lot of new ships that we have planned to make, and we've got uh, a lot of tier six versions of ships that we still need to make. I don't know. Like, I've got to get a tier six Burrell, right? A tier six Bird of Prey on the Klingon side. They don't have that yet. That's far more important right now. There are a lot of ships planned for all three factions I don't have, and the near term, I think there may be a a Hakona style ship, tier six version coming to the Romulans in the future. I don't have a science vessel plan for the Klingons in the immediate future because nobody buys them. They just don't sell. I mean, yes, somebody buys them, so that's hyperbole for me to say nobody buys them. But the demand is so low that we even talked about doing a Kickstarter for it. Uh, so, because it's, or, you know, it may, it may not be actually on Kickstarter. It would be, we'd make our own kind of, like, Kickstarter thing without our website or something. But for ships, for, for oddball ships, that uh, by oddball I mean, like, just low-demand ships to see if do you really want this, um, we need to reach a certain threshold because, I mean, I'm not kidding, whenever we release science-type vessels on the Klingon side, we sell them in the dozens. So it's it's really bad. It's just the amount of time and effort and money it takes to make them is just it's a loss for us. They're just not popular. And so when we can do them on the cheap, you know, we'll try to do them. But you know, like, like I could see us just taking the Veranus and not changing the model and giving it an existing uh, and then and, and if we did a science console on the Fed side and a science trade to just get the same thing, so basically be free to do then we might be able to do it. But I don't see us putting a lot of effort into it because, um, I mean, it's uh, it really is within the dozens that we sell. And it's just, wow, this is just not worth it. I mean, it is, there's still a demand for battle cruisers and, and, and escorts on the Klingon side, not nearly as much as there is on the Federation side, which is why you always see more we always make more Federation ships. But the science demand is... There's more of a demand on science on the Romulan side. And I think it's just purely an role-playing type of thing, right? It's just... It makes sense for I think players will are happy to be a Romulan scientist, but when they're a Klingon, they're a warrior. They just are. Um, that's just the where most people tend to play. If if you get one, it's probably going to be uh, like I said a reskin. If even gets the skin Veranus with existing traits and consoles, and when to sugarcoat it and lie says yeah, we'll think about working on it. It's just not. It's not. It's not likely. So, um, and I understand that there are people who are going to want them. Um, There's people out there who want different things, but yeah, it's just not—it's just not practical for us. So, but we do have lots of new ships planned for all three factions, because, like I said, we want to refill our coffers of tier six ships and choices for everybody. So, probably the last tier six ship we make to to. Achieve that goal of refilling our coffers. We'll probably be a Klingon science vessel of some sort. But all the other stuff has to come first.
1: So let's talk a little bit about uh, the future of story missions. Chris on Facebook asked, Will the Cardassian campaign, Breen campaign, Fakir, all receive revamps and at all? And if so, what kind of time frame? Yeah,
4: the Cardassian arc is next on the schedule to redo. And that's, that's already scheduled. I, I think it's been moved a couple times on the schedule so uh, it could move again, but it is uh, planned. It is the last uh, of the Federation that has launched content from the Federation and I think that as people playing Delta Rising, a lot of people hadn't played the, uh, all the revamped content we put on the Federation side, including the tutorial, and a lot of people were really surprised. Wow, look how look how different the game was. I don't remember from five years ago or three years ago, whenever the last time I played and, and like look at this entire new Romulan arc, which I would try to get people to play but no one bothered to play and and look at the new Federation stuff, and the tutorial says, wow, this is great, and then you hit the Kardashian arc, and it's so dated, right? It says, wow, this is not the quality of game that we make anymore. So yeah, that's the last piece there. So that needs to go. The next question is what to do next after that to revamp, and the two things on the plate are the Fekiri arc on the Klingon side, or actually, surprisingly, redoing the, uh, the Breen arc. Although the Breen arc is pretty solid, it's the first featured epi- featured series we did. And it too is actually starting to look a little dated in comparison to the way we do featured episodes now. So that's been kind of, I'm pushing to do the Fek'iri arc over again. It, it would be the next one. But other people want to redo the Breen arc. So we'll just when that comes, to, uh, when that comes up on the schedule, as, the, as far as the next uh, remastering piece of time on the schedule, we'll just, we'll just go to blows to figure out who's going to win that battle. But uh, Cardassian Arc is next to be updated.
0: Canis36 asked, When will the next featured episode rerun be? Or have you thought about adding the special rewards back permanently? And he's talking about the episode reruns where you can get the Orphidian Kane, Riemann Science Officer, Brain Tactical Officer, and Shard of Possibilities.
4: Yeah, they'll never come back permanently. Those are on purpose to come out on certain times. I don't have a date for you about when, when it will happen. I actually wanted to get them in for delta rising but you know they're also tied to a low buy event that you get bonus low buy so we talked about hey can we just let's let's decouple that from low buy so that way the delta recruits can get a hold of these items at least uh and so i'm hoping to try to squeeze squeeze that in as a uh, a, a, a item just at least get the items back in for a limited time so delta recruits can can access them while uh all the Delta event is running, but you know, as you remember, you know, your Delta crew doesn't go away after Delta after the Delta recruit event. So um, I think it's going to happen sometime within the next within the next few months. You should be able to get, if not the full event, a modified version of the event, so you can achieve those. So your Delta recruits can get those items.
1: Let's take a moment and talk a little more about that uh, Delta recruitment event. How successful was that in terms of bringing in, you know, new players? I guess in retrospect, what's the the post mortem on it?
4: That it was uh, far more accepted and loved than we ever anticipated. So,
1: yeah, I'm really, I'm really happy the way
4: it rolled out. I'm really surprised that um, how well we guessed the the numbers as far as you know how much that someone had to do to unlock the you know the, the weekly events. Right, it's like we just did a lot of data mining and said, how how many missions do you think people can do in this time? How many duty officer assignments can people do? How many uh, You know how how many crafting things could people do, and so we we took a lot of guesses based on what people were currently doing, and uh, and I think we did pretty good because we you know some people you know we people have gotten tier three and some and tier one uh, I don't know if anyone if anything only hit tier one
2: I think it's all been tier two or three
4: Yeah, so that's just perfect. That was just like wow. That's you know want to just make it tier three just out there the reach of people who just have to work a little bit harder and sometimes you'll get it and sometimes you won't so i couldn't have been happier about that it was uh, we had a few minor bugs some missions not working properly but well within tolerance of what we expected and i was just really really pleased to see how many people who i think were probably skeptical just really enjoyed the experience Um, because everyone's been playing fifth level 50 and now level 60 for years and forgetting about the journey that was Star Trek Online of everything that's in there and people were just really enjoying it and they're really enjoying the rewards and they're really enjoying their account based rewards and and uh, which I'm really happy about that I was really concerned that people would be would uh you know cuz there's you know should I you know I want I want my I want to keep working on my my main I want to keep getting my working on my reps and working on my specializations and working on my crafting. And so, and, and so, but I think that we made the rewards good enough that people were happy to play the good content and still earn rewards for their main. And so that, that all came together really well. It also um, gave us a lot of new technology so we could do this kind of thing again, much more easily in the future because all the hooks are all there now. So um, yeah, it was it was a huge success, and it brought in a lot of new players, and it brought in a lot of return players. Right, people came back to try to play it. again, which is basically the whole idea. So everyone, we're all going to start at level one, guys. Let's all start again, and that's exactly what 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 happened. And seeing all those Mirandas <laughs> in the beginning, it's like, look at all those Mirandas, look at all those suckers and Mirandas. Why aren't you getting? <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> yeah, those are some great <laughs> screenshots
2: people took of all. Yeah, that, it was great. It warrior. was really. It was like good. watching those Deep Space Nine war episodes huh? with all the Mirandas. And then it was
4: great to be able to play all your, all, you know, if you bought C store ships along the way, right? Before it says, oh yeah, I've got an NX, I've got a Excelsior, right? So get to, it's like in, dust off those low tier C store ships that you may have earned years ago. That was fun. So yeah, 100 percent just exceeded all our expectations. So we're re- we're really pleased and uh, looking forward to uh, to doing that again in the future.
1: Al, is there anything that we might not have covered with the release of season ten, or something you were hoping that we can delve into uh, that we didn't? No, I mean we haven't we haven't I guess talked too much about sector space and what your guys experienced with sector space. No, it, actually I did have a question about it. I'm I'm surprised that you guys didn't bring Q in uh, to explain. The walls falling and and planets moving around. Yeah, it's nah, It's it's not like it's not like you rearranged
4: the world or anything. It's just uh, <laughs> it didn't need that uh, Deus Ex Machina kind of thing. I'm curious to see what as uh, people seem to be loving it and it's great. So I'm really happy about that. I spent some time trying to figure out the right warp speeds and people all seem to be pretty happy with things. I don't know what your experiences are like. I mean, I wish we could make it bigger but that was about as big as we could make it comfortably. So
0: It does take a while to travel, but I've noticed, and I think I'm right about this, but I have to further testing is needed. If I want to get somewhere that's way far away and I have a transwarp, but since it's in the same sector block, it just doesn't transwarp anymore. It just takes you. But if I go into like a nearby planet area, then I can transwarp to it.
4: If you get a mission and you get to hit the little like auto navigate to that map, When you click that button, you get an option. Do you want to set a course or do you want to transwarp? So the default is to just set a course and start driving, and then you can transwarp, and then it costs you energy credits. And as you get closer, that energy credit cost keeps dropping, right? And so at any point, then you go ahead and transwarp to that, but the cost is based on distance. Before, the cost was based on what sector it was in, regardless of where you currently were. If you were in this sector block, it always cost Whatever, fifty thousand energy credits to transwarp to Kronos or whatever, but only five hundred to transwarp to Vulcan. But now it's completely distance based. However, if what everybody should be doing is buying transwarp coils, you can get transwarp coils either in the Low Buy store or in the Lithium store. They're exact same items; they just have one cost of Lithium, one cost Low Buy. And you get like a p- package of ten transwarp coils. Yeah. They're based. Those are consumables. They're very very cheap, um, and uh, so that will okay. give you. Uh, 11 or 12 transport destinations within the alpha and beta quadrant. And so right. um, I don't have my list because I'm on the ground. On okay, right so now.
0: you still can transport.
4: Or you can go to the dilithium store uh, and they're, they're also, you can buy them for dilithium. Let's see, where are they? I'm looking at them. Specialty item. Transfer coils. They are, um, uh, oh, they're, they should be cheaper. They're too expensive. They're expensive. They're 29,000 dilithium in the dilithium store. I don't know why they're so expensive. So they should probably reduce that price. So, um, but low buy, they're cheap. And, um, and uh, yeah, so they'll bring you to, I think there's 11 different des- destinations or 12 different destinations. Let's see, I have my transform coil here. If I can do info on it, it will take you to Bajor, Cardassia, this is the sector Bajor sector, Cardassia sector, Deferra sector, Denobula sector, Azura sector, Boroth sector, Donatu, Hobus, Konos, Riza, and Unroth. So those will take you right into that sector next to that. Next to those planets, and of course, if you have the Excelsior, you can. There's there's uh, about a dozen transporter location that comes with that ship, and if you're in one of the freighters, it'll take you to all the uh, all the expanses and all the duty officer uh, assignment locations, such as the uh, Iridon Nebula and the Kell Star Cluster. All the star clusters, all all what used to be star cluster maps before the Arwath. Exp- excuse me, the Zenath Expanse, and all those places where the special duty officer assignments are, and so you'll get access to those as well. And of course, you can unlock other transwarp's. From some transwarp's, you unlock from the reputation system. Like one will unlock for the Delta Quadrant. One will unlock for for uh, for Rom to you to Romulus. And then there's uh, then you get some for the fleet. And everyone, of course, can transwarp home to their to their planet. But yeah, they can. They work within the block. If you're going from a mission, you just you get the option to either set a transwarp or set a set a course, and the transwarp energy cost is based on distance.
1: Now, was that all, Nick? That worked on the um... on the map on the visuals. Yeah, the art. They're gorgeous. I mean, it's they're it's it's really beautiful. Yeah,
4: that was pretty much. I I, I don't think anyone else worked on it except uh, ex, as far as on the art side, except Nick, uh, 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 A.K.A. Taco Fang, Taco Fang Tumor Boy, and. Um, I'm not sure which
2: Yeah, I think that was about 30% uh, working on the stars and 70% having to explain why Soul System was in the Beta it's Quadrant. in the Beta Quadrant. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much where his time was spent, uh, that's a good, that's a, that was a good cost analysis. A lot of the time was spent trying to figure out where everything was going to go because we didn't have a square-shaped universe, right? We you know our our old sector blocks were in this kind of like weird stepladder shape because there was nothing in the like galactic northwest of the beta quadrants, and we had the Ferret kind of off to the one side, and the the, the Borg stuff, the Gamma Aurelius stuff was kind of also also separated. So and then we need to fill in some of the gaps, and so we had to move some things around, and and Nick spent a lot of time trying to make things feel as realistic as possible, both within the IP and within real life, and. Some concessions have to be made. And um, that was just fun to do, as people probably, I think we've talked about, or if they've noticed, that we actually, in sector space, shrink your ship down to about 1 12th normal size. So that way everything looks bigger uh, out there. And there's just, just a little bit of smoke and mirrors to try to change the scale even further to make things even look bigger. And then made all the planets bigger, the solar systems bigger and uh, spread everything out away from each other as much as possible. Yeah, I think it, it, it is big, and it's <laughs> supposed to feel big. And when you're in it, when you're level one and you're going at warp five, oh, it feels man. even bigger. <laughs> oh, it's really yeah, slow yeah. when you're going warp <laughs> five. So things like uh, anything that increases warp speed and any time you can get slip, bet, more, better slipstream and trans warps, um, they become very valuable. That's good, it's a good thing. It would, could never make it realistic shape, realistic size. We just just can't. Just uh, stars are so big, right? Probably one star would fill up the entire quadrant if we made it real size.
1: Did I understand correctly that there right now there's a bug with the DoF system and this and sector space? Well, quadrant space now.
4: Um, the only thing that I'm currently aware of is that there's some places, and I am not sure if it's fixed yet. If it, well, no, it's fixed, but I'm not sure if it's live. That there, are some places on the map that have no duty officer assignments, particularly when we, repl- we replaced the duty officer assignments based on region, but they were basically put right back in relation to the three sector, the sector block that used to exist. Like this, you know, these new assignments are in this sole sector block. And so that put it right there. So when we, add, when we filled out the shape to be perfectly square, there are some places on the bottom and in the top right and, and in the beta quadrant that didn't exist before and thus didn't have duty officer assignments. So it was like, oops, we forgot to do that. That's one bug, so you'll go some places and there'll be nothing in the current map for you there. You'll still get personal and and department head missions, but there'll be nothing in the current map for you there. So that... I don't know if that fixes live yet, but that got fixed. I can't think of any other issues. Were you aware of anything else, or was that it?
1: No, the only thing I had heard was was doffing uh, had, a bit, had some issues. Yeah, that's the only one that I'm aware of. Maybe there's something else, but... Uh... And I did notice flying around in the Alpha Quadrant that... I'd go. Nick had published a like a guide or a map border of where the duty officers should populate. And like you said, they just kind of overlaid over the current quadrant. And I flew to those areas of the quadrant map, and the, what I noticed was that the DOFF assignments didn't change in that space. It still all stayed the same. I think
4: what you're getting at is exactly what should have happened, right? I mean, if you if you were in the block that was the like Majoran sector block, and you got Assignments A, B, and C. If you fly in that general area now, you'll still get those same assignments A, B, and C. There.
1: Yes, but then if you go north, right to the where where Beta or Sire, I yeah. the name of the quadrant was. When I moved north, or I moved far west, farthest yeah. west, the the that current map assignment never changed.
4: Oh, it's not changing for you. You're saying right. you're still the current map doesn't get updated. Correct. Okay. I'm not aware of that being an issue, but I'll I can. We can look into that if that's really what's going on. Maybe someone already knows about it. But that should not happen. If that's what's happening, that, yes, that would be incorrect. It should, it should update based on whatever location you're, you're at uh, and, and be basically similar, if not identical, to the way it was before. There, I could see there being a bug about it not updating until the next update cycle, right? Boom, in an hour. Like every hour, we rotate the assignments right, out, and right, maybe right, right, right. you get locked into whatever sector you're in. I mean,
1: that could make sense, but that, that's something like that would happen. But that wouldn't be on purpose. One quick little thing about the DoF system, and I don't know if this could be a quick fix, but when you go to your department heads, and let's say you're missing a commodity, and you click on the store, the replicator, mm-hmm. and let's say you buy, it'll complete, it'll take you back to the current map. You can't stay in your department head. Oh yeah,
2: yeah, list. I know what you're talking about. And so exactly if, what it you're talking boots about. you out.
1: Boot you out? Well, it boots you out of the
2: it department. It closes the other wing. It right. closes the department.
4: If you, if you are in the duty assignments, and you go to current map, and then click on the or, or, or personal, and click on the replicator, it will open the replicator and leave you there. But if you're in department heads, and you click on and you click on assignments, and then click on replicator, it will kick you out and put you and put your assignments back into current map. Mm-hmm. And I kick it out of that and it irritates the bejesus <laughs> out of me. Um, <laughs>
3: um,
4: okay,
1: you too. All right, good. So it is um,
4: – so which is why every time I start my assignments, the first thing I do is buy like 15 medical supplies, 15 shield generators, 15 provisions, 15 industrial cells, and 15 uh, 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 um, entertainment provisions, and then I go through the, and then I go through them because I know I'm going to use them at one point or another. The reason why that happens is just a, uh, is just a, a sad technical limitation. That when you're going, if you remember when we first introduced department head assignments, this here's here's a great exa- example of why um, ship interiors uh, are like kind of a, a little bit of a thorn in our side. People want more things to do in ship interiors, so we added duty officer assignments inside ship interiors. If you go to your ship interior, you could go to engineering and you get engineering ship assignments, and you go to your science lab and you get the science duty officer assignments, and everybody went in an uproar about not wanting to go into their ship interior to play those assignments. And so uh, we yielded and put them in the UI, okay? But they're still pointing to those, to those contacts. Um, those are, if you go to the, if, so if you go, they're still there. If you go into your ship interior, you can talk to your chief engineer at, on, in, your engin- in your engineering lab and get those engineering assignments. That's, that's, a, uh, that's a contact window your replicator is also a contact window. You can only have one contact window active at a time. Okay. And so because if we took them out of the ship, then you could open both at the same time. And then someone will get really ticked off that we took the assignments out of the interior ship because that's how they like to do their duty officer assignments. So we kind of got stuck with this without significant engineering investment in order to decouple them. So you could somehow, in the UI, not be a contact, but in the in the ship interior, also still be a contact. Um, so that's why that is like that. It is a legacy thing that we got stuck into uh, because we tried to be nice. But the current map and the personal ones are not hooked up to any contact. They're just they're just on they're just in wherever they are. They're in here. But the department head ones are hooked up to actually people on your bridge, on your ship interior. So that's why. That's the technical reason, um, and it is a lame excuse, but it is just the reality of what we, we happen to be uh, sitting with. Has everyone played all the story missions and the queues?
2: I haven't gotten to play the queues yet, but I have done both featured episodes.
0: I did everything except the, the ground queue.
4: Except the ground queue. The ground queue is actually my favorite. I hope you enjoy the ground queue uh, on, on, on the, uh, we Yes, we've got, and we've got Tom Paris. We brought in uh, Robert McNeil. Um, who is? Ex- he was really good, I thought. Who is exactly like his character, by the way. Huh. <laughs> he I is exact. There is so yeah. funny because as I meet these people, some of them are nothing like their character, right? Like uh, Garrett Wong is nothing like his character. Uh, Roderick McNeil is exactly like his character. So, yeah, he did a great job. He did it really fast. I was like, wow, because he's just playing himself. Um, and so he got through that real quick and then we brought in Lisa Lucero who oh I meant to correct uh, Cookie. Cookie said that she was oh uh, that she was in Kuva ma. she was not in Kuva ma she's in she's in the, the, the finale of Voyager. Oh,
0: yeah, I didn't I mean I, maybe I said that. yeah I don't remember. I thought you were gonna um, pr- correct me on the pronunciation of her name.
4: <laughs> oh her name I have no idea how to say her name, so don't worry. Uh, Le- Le Cicero, I think it is. But no, yeah, you yeah, you had said that she was in this episode. Her character as a baby is in the Kuva Ma story in, in, on Voyager, yes. But they, the but that's but she was still uh, she was unborn at that stage. Uh, her the, the oh uh, well
0: then that's what I meant.
4: <laughs> uh, <laughs> Morale Paris as an adult, played by Lisa LeCicero, shows up in uh, part one of Voyager finale and endgame. That's who we brought in there, and and we also had her. Um, remember, because we have, she her character Meryl Paris appears in, in the uh, early episodes on the Federation arc in the Kuva Ma storyline with with Barat. Um, She voiced those that that content as well. So now, if you go back and play that, those those will be voiced by her now as well.
1: Oh, I just finished those on my Delta recruit man. I
4: know we just finished them, and then <laughs> now it's now you got to play them again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone has already just them, so it was unfortunate,
1: but we had to
4: hold that hold that back.
1: Why why did you release the Delta Recruit uh before season ten?
4: A couple reasons. Delta Recruit was released before season ten because uh, strategically it makes a lot of sense from the business point of view. Whenever we do events that lead up to a season, we get more participation in the season because people are are there to check that out. It's a ramp up technique it ramps up people to get there's a lot of awareness there's, there's a lot of press players are talking about it, they're coming in to check it out and then they're aware that season 10 is coming the other part of it is is that it tells the story of it's trying to tell the story of between delta rising and season 10 about everybody ramping up for this big war of the iconians and we're trying to we're trying to press upon everyone that you know winter is coming and that it's going to be and we need and we and we need everybody all hands on deck to uh, to, to deal with this, uh, with this danger coming, this is why we also uh, we learned this. We learned this when we released Sphere of Influence and brought in Michael Dorn to play Warf, and that episode released before season eight. I think that was season eight, and that bump that people came in for that episode gave us a much bigger bump for that season, because usually what happens is people play a season and then you know the play people taper off. That's just that's just what naturally happens, and that's why every Every couple of months, you have to have something, and so towards the end of the season, it tapers off. And so you keep, you do these what we call tentpole features at the lulls to put something in place to get people to stick around. So that way, if they because if you get too much of a lull, they will they won't come back for the new season. So you've got to keep something this little tentpole feature to keep people keep people going. And this allowed us with Delta Rising to not only keep it as a tentpole feature but also as a reacquisition and acquisition strategy to get get new players or lapsed players back into game so that way they could all ramp up and check out you know our season 10 Iconian war so it's just the strategy on how you just keep people in an MMO excited there's just you can't be stagnant and you've got it so that's uh, that that is why that is that is there and we do, that's why we do things like that
1: well, Al, we want to thank you again for stopping by and joining us for this episode of Priority One Podcast. This featured episode was just great, and um, i got to say I'm a little disappointed that we won't have little patrols that I can go in and save the day during the Iconian invasion. But I'm really looking forward to where the story goes and how, how we defeat it.
4: Yeah, we've got uh, – even though we only released two featured episodes now, we've got like three more already in the bag um, basically that are – that are that are be coming out next uh, and we'll be releasing them. Kind of, kind of like we did the old cadence, and so every about every month or so, you'll see another piece of the story, another piece of the war, um, telling a really, really epic story to kind of bring this our 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 iconian mass, you know, mega arc for the last five year come to come to a conclusion, and uh, so I'm really excited to to uh, to bring that story to everybody. I'm really excited that people are enjoying what we have done so far, and it's just going to The pace is just going to continue. So great time to come back to Star Trek Online.
1: Well, again, Al, thank you for stopping by, and we'll have you again soon.
4: I'll be happy to come back real soon, and thanks again for having me.
2: Now, let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming.
0: Message coming in, sir.
3: Hailing frequencies. Open. See? We are getting to know each other.
1: Well, admirals, we're at the part of the show where we open Haley Frequencies for your incoming messages, and in case you might have forgotten what last week's community question was, how far along have you progressed in Season 10, and what do you think about the content?
2: Star Chaser writes on PriorityOnePodcast.com, My experiences and thoughts with Season 10 so far. In terms of gameplay and not cutscenes, I was not impressed with the Heralds as I fought them on the surface of New Romulus. As I fought them, I thought to myself, These guys are a bunch of sissies. Why are we scared of them? Then I reached the cavern with the Iconian gate and faced the Harbinger. Two boffs and myself were knocked out with the first attack. My biggest complaint, outside of the two episodes and cues, it does not feel like we're in a war with an overwhelming foe. I think there should be little reminders scattered throughout quadrant space to remind us we are in a desperate struggle. Maybe some Iconian red alerts to go with the Borg red alerts. I actually like that idea. That'd be kind of cool. Herald ships popping up, kicking our butt. Yeah, that
0: mission... I died so many times on the ground in that mission.
2: I disagree
1: with Star Chaser because I felt that we were in a war against a very, maybe not an overwhelming foe, but certainly a foe that, you know, is giving us a run for our money.
2: Well, actually, let me interject because his I, to his point, it's that outside of the episodes and cues. So, like, if you're not ah, playing okay, one okay, of those okay. five pieces of content, you can just cruise around, do tour of the galaxy. Like, there's nothing that is pushing you to go back in and fight the war. Right, right.
1: Okay, I see that. You see, I, I haven't played much of the Q content that is with the Iconian War, but I guess I can see that because of the repetitive nature of it. What was the cue that we played? Harold's Fear, Cookie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one Q that I did play Harold's Fear with Cookie the other night, I, I honestly was not very impressed by it. I felt it was kind of a lot of the same thing. It was, you know, a, a wave of enemies coming in from in different waypoints on the map. And you have to go and kill them and stop them. But there weren't any new objectives. No, There wasn't any new game mechanics that I thought, oh, wow, this is really nice. Now, the environment was great. It's beautiful. The art for the Iconians, the ship art for the Iconians are fantastic. But in terms of the mission objectives, the content itself, I left feeling a little disappointed. Like, I wanted more. I wanted something new and exciting some kind of new game mechanic and I, and I didn't see that so yeah that's, that, that's my opinion about at least Harold's Fear.
0: I, I enjoyed the Harold's Fear. I thought it was it was a little bit exciting to me maybe because it was new I don't know I'll, I, I need more time with it I guess.
1: It's just how different is it from from let's say let's say mirror event, right, where they're coming in from different angles from different parts of the map. You know, how different is it from similar missions where you know, stop it, stop them before they come through the gateway.
2: It felt very much like mirror,
1: like the mirror event. It very much felt like the mirror event. So, <laughs>
4: well,
0: I, I like the mirror event now, so. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's true you were the biggest hater on that. Well, I'm going to try to give them all a try this week before the next show, so maybe we can have a little more in-depth discussion of them.
0: Sacha Gavasaka commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, Greetings, Priority One team. The show just keeps getting better and better. I can't imagine playing this game without it. Thanks for all your efforts. The prelude dramas are quite entertaining, but I have one concern. What is going on with Dr. Cakes? One episode, she is an exceptional medical officer administering medical tricorder 3 with one hand and laying down phaser cover with the other, yet... In a previous episode, she was mainlining nerve Tonic. Is she the Nurse Jackie of STO? Not sure the preludes were meant to intertwine that way, but it's kind of funny to think about. Thanks again for making such a great podcast.
2: I love that description and interpretation. (laughs) That was amazing.
0: See, one was Dr. Cakes of the USS Prioritas, and then one was CC Cakes reporting live, and then another one, I don't even know. You're just... They're not the same person, so... Woman
2: of many roles.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> Qpan posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Great little episode. P1, sorry I couldn't be there live. I encourage everyone to try to attend a live taping of the show. It's a blast. Keep up the great work, Cookie and Jace. Oh... And Elijah, too.
2: Thank <laughs> you.
1: Thanks, Q.
0: He saved the best for last.
2: Yeah, so gentle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we also received a tweet from Gross Julien. Great video of the 2015 Delta Recruitment event from at STO Priority 1.
0: Yes, Winters did a great job on that.
2: Yeah, kudos, Winters.
0: Each week, our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. Please keep them coming. Reach out to us on Facebook.com/forward/slash/PriorityOnePodcast. Follow us on Twitter at sto Priority One or shoot an email to incoming at priorityonepodcast.com.
1: Well, that wraps up episode 219 of Priority One Podcast, brought to you by all of our Patreon supporters. Be sure to catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com.
2: Admirals, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses for our community question in the comment section on our site or on the STO forum post for this episode. This week, because as of this show, we only had really a day or two of season 10 live for people to try it out. We're gonna follow up with more discussion of our community question from last week. So season 10 is live. How far along have you progressed and what do you think about the content so far? Let us know in the comment section for this episode at Priority One Podcast.com forward slash PO219. Or comment via Facebook or Twitter.
0: Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to Facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at STO Priority One. You can even join the Priority One podcast chat in-game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space Priority One.
1: Admirals, again, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One podcast. Thanks to our patrons. This show is produced every week. It's time to start thinking about Vegas, though. Don't forget, even if you can't offer financial support, sharing our show with your friends is another great way to show us your support.
2: And don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com covering the ongoing development of chris roberts upcoming space sim star citizen if you like this show then listening to guard frequency is the logical choice
0: the priority one fleet is recruiting if you're interested in joining just shoot us an email with your at handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite the email is incoming at priority one podcast.com and now you can join our klingon fleet division warriors of priority one today is a good day to join
1: a very special thanks to Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al Captain Gecko Rivera, for joining us this episode. And a special thanks to Brian Denham, creator of Airship Enterprise. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One podcast, including our audio engineer, Ben Churchill, with support from audio assistant, Admiral Winters, and QA support staffer, Midnight Shadow 7. Thanks to our graphic artist, Romulan Ale. To all of our bloggers and their managing editor, L. To the writer of our Prelude dramas. And Foundry Reviewer, Jake Morgan. To our video editor, Jerry Tillman. To Chris Trone, our social media manager. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, and our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible.
2: Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Engage. Without further ado, Star Chaser writes on priority. I tried. All right. Star Chaser. You okay? (laughs) Sounds
1: like he just just (laughs) took a
0: drink. He's drinking now during the show. I hurt my own feelings.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Gorns don't have boobies.